0: All right, everybody. Big show today. It's Tuesday. Kathy Wood uh, from ARK Investments has launched a VC fund. It's a little different Molly. VCs in this case, uh, are allowing retail investors to participate in what's called an interval fund. We're going to explain what this is and how it could change venture.
1: Yep, we're also uh, going to cover Bill Gurley's insights from his interview with McKinsey, Uncle Bill, delivering the knowledge I'm just going to warn gospel. you now. Today, there's some chaos in today's show. Little, just just be prepared chaos. for some impressions.
0: It's the Gospel according to Bill Gurley, and uh, we'll we'll go through the Gospel according to Gurley in detail. Lots of really great nuggets inside this interview, and then finally, uh, we're going to talk about banned books because the girls who code book got banned by a bunch of wackos.
1: Yeah. So, just hey, just quick reminder that we need a lot of people in STEM and technology, <laughs> yeah. including some girls. It's going to be I great. Banned
0: books. Don't be horrible. Don't be
2: horrible. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. Stick with us. <laughs> Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Embroker's Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off of traditional insurance today at Embroker.com twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code twist. Ravello. Looking to affordably scale your product development with global tech talent in U.S. time zones? Hire vetted remote developers in Latin America with Revello. Get 20% off for the first three months at revellocom twist. And FanDuel Sportsbook. Use code TWIST during signup to get started with the no sweat first bet up to $1,000. All
0: right, everybody. It is Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. And uh, actually, some good, got some juicy venture stuff going here. We got a little Bill Gurley, got a little Kathy Wood. Let's get right to it. Kathy Wood, I saw today, is debuting a private company VC fund. If you don't know who Kathy Wood is, um, she runs ARC. ARC is uh, named after the Ark of the Covenant, you know, uh, from um, Indiana Jones and the Raiders Lost Stock Molly. Is it? Ark actually? Of the yeah, it was the Ark of the Covenant. They were trying to have immortal life. Oh, yeah, no, I got that. But that's what yeah. this fund is actually named after. That's awesome. I believe that's uh, what, it, what it, you know, it's the most sacred relic, relic, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, basically, they put in the Ark the stone tablets. The Ten Commandments are in the Ark. So that mm-hmm. was like the whole pursuit was the Nazis were pursuing the Ark of the Covenant in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah, she really did. She is a devout Christian via Wikipedia. Yeah. Look at this.
1: If I oh, had yes. just looked at our show notes, I would know that you were not making this up completely.
0: <laughs> she has a publicly traded fund. She's very pro tech. Her fund has gotten absolutely demolished after being mm-hmm. absolutely surging for a couple of years. You know, uh, if you're going to bet on, you know, high volatility tech stocks. But today there was news that she's doing something called an interval fund. So maybe you could fill the audience in on this private venture fund. Yeah, that's this available to public investors is fascinating.
1: It'll be fascinating. called the arc venture fund. It will live under this larger arc investment family. ARC's first entrance into private investments, and it'll be available to US investors, including individuals this is very different from, mm-hmm. you know, venture funds, venture funds. even yeah. publicly raised venture funds, as we know them, because you do not have to be an accredited investor, it'll be available to anybody, including retail investors, individuals for a minimum initial investment of $500. ARC plans uh, to also offer access to the VC fund to family offices, high net worth individuals and institutional investors, much more like a traditional venture capital fund. It's not all private. Apparently, the fund has a target portfolio composition of 70% private companies and 30% public companies. And it's this interval fund, which I have never heard of.
0: Okay, I can explain this. I've been pitched on this the last couple of years. People said, hey, Mm -hmm. JCal, you got a big following. Interval fund would be perfect for you. I said, okay, hit me. How does it work? They say you get no carry. I said, what? (laughs) They said, no carry. I said, we, hi, what? So (laughs) you don't get the 20% carry. So in uh, a fund like we do, we're raising our launch fund for, I just did the third, I just did the third webinar and we've done extraordinary with this. Uh, probably have too many accredited investors uh, and probably will well will certainly be oversubscribed because you can only have 250 accredited investors You can have 2000 qualified purchasers, folks can look that up. But usually two and 20 is approximately what venture funds get some of them if they're high end like ours get 25%, maybe 30. If we hit a certain hurdle, that's become kind of the new standard for the top firms. Mm-hmm. And you get 2% over the life of the fund uh, per year, mm-hmm. managing for managing fees. the fund, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, for those are the fees. Now those fees, Molly, come out of the return. So if you put 100 million to work, and you had 10 million in fees, let's say, for argument's sake, and you return, um, you know, $200 million uh, in returns, you you have to pay back those those 10 million in fees before you get 20% of the gains. Mm -hmm. So that really aligns the investors, right? Um, If we don't take down the fees, we get to profitability quicker, or some firms, as we read in Sebastian's, uh, the power law, during bad years took their management fees and instead of taking them as management, they took those fees and they invested them. so they took less management fees, put more into the companies to goose returns right mm-hmm. um, and so there has been a problem here in Silicon Valley that people raise really large funds they're getting two percent change a year two point seven five in the start, maybe it goes down to one and a half towards the end. you know it sort of slides down on a scale um you didn't raise a billion dollar fund. You're getting twenty five million dollars a year for the first couple of years, and then eventually fifteen million, and uh, that's a lot of money. So, right. this is, you know, and there's even been this kind of
1: inference mm-hmm. and occasional outright accusation, right, that the reason that firms are raising these huge funds is related to these fees, which I didn't totally understand, since the fees have to get paid
0: back. It's basically. In the short term, having a larger fund means you get more cash up front. So you're taking right. less risk. The risk is, of course, on the LPs because you're getting that money. And yes, you have to give it back. But uh so if your firm returns, yes, it's a wash. But yeah. there is a little bit of sometimes hand-wringing of, oh my God, it's so much in fees. Oh, they have four funds going at once. They're overlapping. There's fees from each fund. But this is what drives the venture industry to have great teams, pay people well etc, right. right, especially right. as the not really in the, you know, under 250 million fund size, but in the billion dollar fund size, you know, get getting big offices. Uh, and that so anyway, in this case, y- you don't get the 20% carry what you do is you just get a straight 275 2.75% uh, uh, over the life of the fund. So just every year, if this became a billion dollar fund, Kathy Woodner her team would make $27.5 million. There are other fees on top of that, uh, which are for like I guess, legal fees and and other fees, withdrawal fees. And so anyway, people online were saying, hey, the fees will be maybe over 4%. Now you look at a Vanguard fund, that's incredibly low fee, like bips, you know, Mm -hmm. that they charge uh, fractions of 1%. Right. So, but the way interval funds work is they're kind of evergreen. You buy a bunch of companies, you sell, you distribute, um, but you have to offer up to 5% uh, is redeemable. So every quarter people can redeem up to 5% and then get back 25% of their money, which is why they need to keep 30% in liquid assets like a stock.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and then they can also take loans against the size of the fund of like 30% to kind of put more money to work with the idea that if things collapse, you would sell some equities to to go for that. So this is so incredibly expensive.
2: Is this
1: how is this, if at all, meaningfully different from like an index or an ETF? I mean, you're putting your money in, like if it's me. Yeah. And I put my $1,000 $1, exactly in that. Yeah, and I pay an $47 ETF. in fees, mm-hmm. but at least Kathy is investing my money. That just seems like, <laughs> yeah, that just seems like managed, you know, I could do that through my bank if I wanted, like I could just have a managed investment portfolio,
0: but it yeah, would cost this less. Would, but this would be in an asset class that those mutual funds don't because typically it's private, invest in, okay. it's, private so companies. it's
1: very much like a managed investment fund, except it's more expensive, because presumably the theory is you get to invest in these private companies. So you're going to get better returns.
0: Yeah, I think the idea here is to give people access to the venture companies, which if yep. you did have some hit companies in there, I think they're going to do. They said in their prospectus basically, that they're going to do 2530 private companies. And I think 15 to 30 public ones. So there'll be like, somewhere in the range of 5060 names in here between public and private companies, 70% private 30% in dollar amounts uh, in private versus public, right? But this is all powered by a company called Titan T I T A N. I looked I them up. Um, and they started with like a crypto in fund, basically. Uh, and they do this for real estate, this stuff has existed for a while. Um, and I guess the idea is to get consumers retail investors to participate. I don't like this because because really, you've been talking about this. Like
1: you've been saying that retail yes. investors should have an opportunity to participate in private markets and it sort of feels like
0: this is that I've been pitched on this for a couple of years. I didn't do mm-hmm. it. Um, I don't like the incentive structure here. The incentive for the GP, uh, the general partner here or partners is um, not to increase the value really of the I mean it is theoretically but because you're not getting that carried interest I don't feel it's as aligned as it should be you're getting this management fee but you're not getting the 20 percent carrot interest a split of the money paid out uh, which i think is a little bit more intellectually in line uh, so as you don't incentive.
1: think you feel like the people on the arc team aren't as incentivized to go hard in power law dynamics exactly they're exactly. not as incentive incentivized to get a 20x return for these investors because they are not But they're probably going to get paid like huge bonuses and
0: I guess they'll chop up the the fees, right? right? They get 12 million in fees a year, they chop it up if there were, you know, I don't know if there were was a team of, I would say you need a team of 15 to sort of manage this 20 maybe. So they got 15, 20 people. And I'm talking about back office people who maybe aren't as expensive. And then, you know, maybe you need three partners running this. So if you have four partners running it, they chop up 10 million a year each. They make 2 million each, a million each. I guess it could work. Um, But yeah, it doesn't have the alignment that, hey, we're trying to find an Uber here, we're trying to find an Airbnb, we want to make a 3x a 10x fund, we want to turn 500 million into 2 billion, 3 billion, and then take 20% of the gains there. You know, I think what they're going to do here is they'll just look at whatever the top companies are that are private, you know, look Mm -hmm. for the billion dollar companies, $2 billion companies and buy secondary shares and be done with it. That's what I would do if I was them. Uh, You know, like you want to give people the the least risk here, so that the fund goes up modestly each year, and you you just collect fees. So what would you do? You would look for like the Figmas of the world that we just Mm -hmm. saw get sold, or you would look for whatever other private companies were hanging around the rim, so to speak. uh, You know, in basketball, just people who are close to an exit. You just buy those shares. Maybe you double it. Maybe you go up fifty percent. Maybe you triple your money. And you just Yeah, it seems like not the right format. Now I would love 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 love. If I could create an entity with $100 million in it, that 100,000 people could put $1,000 in each and let anybody in the audience participate in venture, that'd be very cool, I think, but that doesn't exist yet. And This is not that yet. Okay, interesting. I'm going to quickly explain one of the crucial types of insurance every startup needs. E and O insurance. This covers errors and omissions. That's what the E and the O stand for. And it helps you scale because any major customer will ask you, do you have E and O? If not, you can't close the deal. It's that simple, folks. So if you don't have business insurance, you failed one of the first steps of being a founder. And startups should look no further than in broker. Brokers technology saves you time. It saves you money. Prices are up to 20% lower. And you're gonna get better coverage than the incumbents. You go from sign-up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. When you work with InBroker instead of the incumbents, you're not dealing with large, slow corporations, no. And your sign-up will take days, not weeks. The process is completely transparent. There's no opaque pricing. This is a modern service. They treat you with respect. So here's your call to action. To instantly buy custom-built insurance for startups, go to imbroker.com twist. While you're there, you can get an extra 10% off by using the offer code TWIST. twist I send this week in startups. All right, thanks and broker, you do a great job over there. They, they do my insurance. That's all you need to know.
1: This does feel like a nice stair step to that, though, for retail Correct. investors who themselves might be too risk averse for 80% of their investments to fail. Yeah, but interested in returns that are better potentially than public market returns, although public mar- market returns have a been insanely awesome over the last decade and no returns are going to be good for maybe the next decade. So like, (laughs) I don't know how this is going to be. Is this sort of like launching into a storm on purpose and saying, listen, you know, public equities are going to really be terrible for a while here Mm. because we're in a recession. So this might, I I I just wonder if that's part of the pitch around the timing of this launch.
0: I think the, this was probably underway for a year or two Yeah, Titan's been around for a little while. I'm sure Titan was trying to get somebody high profile uh, Mm -hmm. to do something like this, to get people onto the platform. So they're kind of like a Robin Hood, the app actually looks a little Robin Hood esque if you look at it. And um, they're trying to get people on there who maybe have credibility. So they have a crypto fund on there, maybe they have real estate already. So you'll be able to, (coughs) as a retail investor, instead of buying shares in uber or airbnb and google you would be able to say oh i'll put a thousand dollars into real estate a thousand dollars into venture a thousand dollars into crypto and Mm -hmm. i'll let these fund managers do their thing so you know i like the democratization i think this probably started two years ago i bet you they were talking to kathy a year or two ago before the market collapsed and so this was you know all set to go out and um Kathy right. does know probably the companies that are going to go public because she's in the tech space. She probably is pretty good at evaluating them since she knows technology already. And so it's a great brand extension for her. Um, it might make a little bit of money for her. Um, and it's uh, very interesting. Now's the time to invest in the paradoxically. Now's the time to invest in the public markets and the private markets because everything is yeah, exactly. out of low. Right. And this, so
1: this is weirdly i guess the the converse of what i was saying which is like it's a nice stair step into a riskier investment without it being incredibly high risk is that it's not high risk enough mm. i guess yeah i don't know i, I i'm it depends I like on what the, she invests
0: in. what if she does it's series very a's? interesting yeah. what if she does I mean, series a's right like we yeah don't, like so if there's I 500 million here and they said 30 percent to public so there's 350 yep. you said they're gonna put it in 30 companies so what if they just do, you know, a ser- they do, you know, 7 million dollars into 30 series A's, that's 210, and then they hold mm-hmm. back 140 million um, you know, for the top 5 of those and they put another whatever it is, you know, 10 20 million into each of those. That right. could be a nice structure, but that's a lot of work. And I don't I think they're going to probably just go for like the 500 million to 1 billion private company market and just right. try to buy a slug of and capital. optimize
1: optimize for near exits basically
0: yeah this way the time between when they invest and the company goes public or has an exit is five years or less Mm -hmm. if they start doing seed investing or series a well they're signing up for a 10-year journey i don't know if they're not uh, and these uh, retail investors are not into that because that's the other thing that that, you know retail investors
1: are (laughs) unfortunately everybody looks for like get rich quick or figure out how to get when they talk about returns, they're not talking about returns on the 40 year time horizon that most of us should be considering when we're investing in public markets, or even if we were investing in private markets through mechanisms like this, this is like, you're supposed to be doing this for retirement. Not I want 8% returns, you know, this year, next year, and the year after, and then I'm going to cash out or whatever that doesn't.
0: Yeah. And you're modestly liquid here. So if you were to put a hundred thousand into it, Mm-hmm. and let's say in two years you needed money for college or something uh or you get divorced or something happens <coughs> you get that hundred thousand okay you can take out 5k a quarter for five quarters you get 25k out of it you still got 75k in it i think yeah. you're not allowed to redeem everything uh is the kind of hybrid model here whereas in venture capital if you don't make your payments let alone redeeming if you don't make your payments you lose your entire interest so if you to put in 75k of your 100 and you don't put in the final 25k molly which i think happens you know very infrequently for these funds uh in a venture fund you lose your entire interest right so you you got to complete your commitment or else you lose everything so
1: it is interesting interesting. to me it's right exactly to me it's a sign of this conversation we've been having about how the venture industry itself is changing we're starting to see you know, it even in the past couple of decades, right? Just sort of like different this stair, this drumbeat of slightly different fund structures, and now there's like raise in public, and then there's, uh, I don't know, be a solo GP, just roll your own on angel list, kind of like, and now there's this this mixing of public and private, or you know, Sequoia doing like a grow an equity fund, or it's just mm-hmm. all, it's just all merging in a way that I think is super notable.
0: Yeah, this company Titan announced in March of 2022, they raised 100 million at a billion dollar valuation, which is nuts. Because I'm trying to figure out their business model. If they enable 10 of these, do they extract 10% of the fees? Can they get 20% of the fees or something? So in in the Wall Street Journal story, they said they're not going to take fees from Kathy, which probably as a celebrity investor bringing people to the platform, they decided to not do that. But Mm -hmm. even if they did charge, fees like what could they charge 20% so if they charge 20% of what Kathy Woods makes or maybe she would pay 500k a year for this platform or a million I'm not sure what they would be able to charge maybe they charge her 5% or one maybe 1% of the capital raised which would be 5 million um I don't know how titan becomes a big business certainly not a billion dollar company my guess is if they announced in March of 2022 this billion dollar valuation they raised 100 million Ten percent for a hundred million. I bet mm-hmm. you that was closed in twenty two thousand twenty one, when the market was mm-hmm. really hot. Because right. I don't know what. I don't know their business in the model. winter. Yeah. Yeah. They well, say they have the $750 hundred fifty. They're million getting the carry. Product. Like no, <laughs> no, there's no carry. I mean, according to no, the World just Journal, they're getting has, the yeah. quote carry. They, yeah. They they says they have fifty five thousand clients and more than seven hundred fifty million under assets under management on the platform. So could they make <clears throat> I don't know, 10 basis points of that. 750, 20 basis points, 1.5 million. Maybe, I don't know what they could charge for being on the platform or maybe they're going to do their own funds on the platform and have like their own white label, you know, their mm-hmm. their house brand, their Amazon Basics brand on their own platform so they have Kathy Wood, they do it for free for her to get her brand, get her on CNBC talking about it. Right. And then those people will that's customer acquisition cost if Kathy gets 100,000 people to do this they pay zero dollars for those folks so Mm -hmm. interesting
1: money money moving is getting weird i i i wish there
0: was something simpler here if the sec did a test
1: i want to see where i like where this is going
0: it's it's slowly where these things have existed by the way for a long time so this is like taking some old concept which this was used for debt it was used for um real estate You know. and they just applied it to venture, but we are slowly climbing the mountain of democratizing uh, exactly. access to alternative investments and, and, and just access to investment classes, whether it's masterworks or uh, Vincent or other folks who are just giving access to different asset classes. I think what would be interesting here too is um, <clears throat> if the SEC could solve all this uh, 100 question test, you got to get 80 right
2: mm-hmm.
0: takes three hours to prepare. For this test, maybe five hours. You take an online course. You do an in-person course. You read two books. Just like make it like the you know double a driver's license, gun, or scuba test. Like the scuba Mm -hmm. test seems pretty analogous to me. Like if you're going to go scuba diving, yeah, and you're going to be a hundred feet underwater and risk dying, and you have have to have a thousand dollars worth of equipment.
1: Yep. If you you want to be an investor, an investment manager, or a financial manager, there's a test that you have to take to prove that you know what's happening in order to do that. And the idea, it makes perfect sense that somebody could take a test like that because what I want to do generally as a public, like I don't have a managed fund. No, thank you. I don't want the My bank's version of Kathy Wood to maximize for fees and do extra trades that I don't need to make because they get paid on every trade. You know, it's like, this is, this is arc. The arc venture fund is a middleman here. Yeah. For retail investors who would love to have access to a portfolio that's 70 percent private and 30 percent public, so why have to have a, somebody in the middle? Let me just do that.
0: Yeah, just let people take a test. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. Just let people yep. take a test. The Series 7, the Series 65, all those tests. there is a way to take one of those tests to become an accredited investor right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not super clear, but the SEC has said like, that will get you accreditation status. So some people in college, there was a group of women out of college who decided they wanted to be angel investors, they reached out to me at some point. Um, I'll try to find the link. But they all just took this test together in their little investment group. And now they're accredited investors. Now, they don't have a ton of money to invest, but they want to put 500k $1,000 into deals. And I was like, sure, if that's if you're sure the SEC is okay with you doing it. Okay, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you could join our syndicate. Um, So I think there is some You know, this will happen in the next two or three years. I'm pretty. I literally
1: just ran into a friend who I hadn't seen in forever who told me he did the exact same thing that he bought a house. Mm -hmm. And so then because of buying the house with his stash of cash, right, he fell under the accredited Ah, limit because your house doesn't count. And so then he was like, yeah. So then I spent like six months doing the tests and the legal doc, the legal Mm. work to become accredited as an investment manager and start a company that I yeah, well, you know, I'm not gonna take on any clients. I'm just gonna use that status to be an angel.
0: Yeah, if you're an investment manager, you I take had no idea tasks, that right. existed. Yeah, it's kind of a backdoor, um, which is kind of silly. Like, why would I need to set up an investment company and do this like ridiculously long? Well, it's absurd. Exactly. It's, it's absurd. absurd. Right? I could play blackjack. I could scuba dive. I could shoot a gun. I can drive a car. I could fly a plane. I can jump right. out of an airplane like with a parachute. Let me do I, this I'm, with my own freaking money. It's your money. Like, let you do what you want one fact that you need to know about startups finding engineers is super time consuming and super expensive it's the biggest pain in the neck in startups i would say raising money is easier than finding great developers well if you're looking for qualified international developers without the crazy time differences or if you just want to scale without sacrificing on quality well Revello is the answer Revello is a talent platform that matches you and your startup with vetted full-time remote developers in Latin America. They work in the same time zone as you in the United States. Plus, it's more cost-effective than hiring in the U.S., obviously. And you'll get matched with vetted candidates within three days. This lets you hire internationally so quickly and so easily. Revelo's engineers are, of course, full-time, and they're embedded in your team. Just like normal employees, they're proficient in all the... Things that you probably have in your stack, whether it's AWS, Rust, Ruby, React, Python, Node.js, and more. Revelo's customers, wait for it: GitHub, Foursquare, Carda, Indiegogo, Kickstarter. I mean, this is a who's who of successful companies. So go to slash twist and mention Twist to get 20% off your first three months. Plus, they offer a 100% risk-free 14-day trial period. If you're not satisfied, you pay nothing. So head to r-e-v-e-l-o.com. Slash twist and mention twist to get that 20% off. All right. Speaking of money, Bill Gurley uh, Mm -hmm. was interviewed by McKinsey and uh, this interview is trending on the Twitter. So I thought maybe pull out some of the gospel according to Bill Gurley and discuss it would be interesting for the audience.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. He talked uh, about and this was actually in interestingly enough, also in the power law and Sebastian Mallaby's book talking about benchmark. Uh, feeling the pressure to become a bigger fund Mm -hmm. over the years. So one of the things he talked about is why Benchmark has stayed early stage and not become a multi-stage fund like so many others, A16Z, Sequoia. He said, uh, quote, our firm has a very unique focus. Around 85 to 90% of our funds are deployed on first money and early stage investment. And our approach has become even more unique because so many of our competitors have gone multi-stage. And once you start doing late stage things, he says, the current environment... As a drastic impact, but if you're doing early stage, like us, yes. these kinds of swings, he said, don't really put you off the next incremental investment, which that on its own, by the way, was fascinating.
0: Yeah, it's a great, great insight. Imagine you're working at a firm mm-hmm. and you've got a $150 million firm. That's $150 million fund. That's our target for launch for, uh, you know, we'd be happy with 50. If we go to 150, great. Anything in between those two numbers to, would be great success for me. Um, so now you introduce a growth fund. Now you got a Mm -hmm. $600 million growth fund sitting here and you're going to make, I don't know, five bets of a hundred million dollars and change each from that fund. Okay. You start betting on some big companies and you bet like in this Titan company, right? A a billion dollar valuation. And I'm like, how does that make sense? Like how much revenue do they have? I don't know, but that did shock me as like a big number, um, considering, what Kathy Woods gonna make from you know, her portfolio, her fund on the platform. So penciling out the math, and now you have this huge distraction. Oh my god, what do we do with this upside down portfolio? Mm-hmm. We invested at a billion, the company's worth 250. Now, we invested at 5 billion, the company's worth 600 million, whatever it is. Now you've got to explain to those LPs, oh my god, you know, we, we deployed 600 million of your money, it's worth 150. We're, we're, I don't know if we're gonna 4x from here. And get your money back, and then mm-hmm. you're doing great with your series A investments that's doing great. Mm-hmm. you know your hundred fifty is going to turn into six hundred million, so now the person's looking. okay, you tripled my money here, and you incinerated seventy five percent of my money here I'm now even <laughs> i'm going to be exactly even between your two funds. I try to <laughs> do the math that way, but Ooh. let's just say you know you got destroyed on one f- the late stage fund and you and you you did wonderful in the early stage, yeah, yeah, it just makes life complicated and. Yep.
1: And so you we have have to get, we've been yeah. talking about this so many times, like the multiples get unmanageable. If you have a billion dollar fund and you have to return $20 billion, it's so much harder. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard. So anyway, uh, yay us, also
0: staying small, love it. He says... Ah. Uh, raise what you need is what I say, you but, know, not yeah. even staying small, but I think appropriate is really like, there's an optimal number here. And mm-hmm. if you go too far above it, because you can, Yep. You, you just be careful, I think is what Bill's trying to say here. So I just love this first concept here.
1: Yep, exactly. So then um, he taught, he's, of course, asked about the downturn and, yep. w- and timing, right? Timing your investments, he says, quote, there have been plenty of great companies started in the troughs to suggest there's no reason to stop investing. But he Hmm. also points out the same thing is true at the peaks. There were firms that pulled out in 96 because they thought things had expanded too broadly and they missed three of the greatest years of returns in the history of the business. He said, we really tried to learn from our mistakes. We tried to expand internationally once, but it didn't work for us. So in about 2006, 2007, we capitulated and went back. And our conviction and our focus was even stronger because we saw that we did better work once we refocused. We have that on our mind as everyone in the Valley started expanding in more recent times. And I will tell you, he says, for the six or seven years prior to the past year, people would meet with us and tell us that we were stupid, that we were leaving money on the table. But in the past six months, that's all reverted. Now it's all, oh, you guys are still brilliant. (laughs) To be Um, fair, J. Cal always thought he was brilliant all along.
0: Well, I mean, like, listen. I'm lucky enough to be friends with Bill, and um, you know, I, I get to ask him questions, uh, and I get to ask other people questions in the industry. Rule off. I, I got a set of mentors that second to none. I, I don't know if they would consider themselves mentors to me, but I, you know, when you get to ask these kind of folks questions, oh boy, does does that a privilege? And mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you, when I read this, and I, um, I I read it twice actually, just to get the nuggets from it. I think what you're seeing here is a great company can be built at any time. Yeah, and great companies are built through up and down markets. So there is no better time for founders to start a company than yesterday or today. You should have started yesterday. You should probably start today. Mm-hmm. That is true in the up market, in the down market, in everything in between. If you've got a great idea and there's customers who want your product, there's no bad time to start. But there are differences to what uh, to how things will work uh, when you start. What he's saying here is. Great investors should do those early stage investments you know in the down market uh, or the up market right mm-hmm. because the great companies will will, will uh, go right uh, you know through those markets they'll weather those storms the highs and the lows high tide low tide everything in between
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: but it will be different in terms of uh, the qualitative difference for a founder will be there so he mentions like you know like in a there used to always be this real estate problem in the upmarket. Oh my god, where are we going to house our people? Well, now you have remote work and there's more real estate available than ever. That whole, you know, hand-wringing and problem of where do we place the company? How do we find a developer within 20 minutes of our office? All that's gone now. Yep. Uh, you, you can find an iOS developer anywhere in the world and, and maybe they speak English, maybe they don't. Their code's good. Does it matter? Mm-hmm. No. So now you're seeing this embracing of 24 hour development cycles as but one concept and and anybody being able to go anywhere in the world. Um, And then you look at management teams, that was the thing he was worried about, like, oh, all the management teams will be here in uh, the Bay Area. So, you know, maybe that'll be the the thing that works. Mm -hmm. Turns out, you know, you can build a management team now remote or you could have them all in Salt Lake City or Miami or Austin or other places. So. Things are yeah. just changing, you know, radically for founders, and it's getting cheaper, faster, better. It's cheaper to deploy capital in a down market. You can go faster because there's more talent available, uh, and you can do a better job because there's more talent available. The end, right? And yep. so, it's really nice to operate in a down market. I, I will say, like, you think about your marketing dollars. If you're buying podcast advertising in a down market where there aren't as much isn't as much competition for podcast ads, you can maybe negotiate a better deal. If -hmm. you're buying Facebook ads or Google ads, you know, whatever marketing you're doing could be cheaper. So your customer acquisition costs theoretically should be going down in a down market, you should be able to deploy dollars more intelligently. Okay, now is the perfect time for you to download FanDuel because the football season is underway. Let's go. America's number one sportsbook is ready. And guess what? New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back. If your bet doesn't win, just sign up with the promo code TWIST. It's so easy. And you know FanDuel's awesome. Why? Well, because FanDuel has your favorite bets from money lines to point spreads to player props. My favorite. You can also combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay yes they have awesome live betting as well where you can bet as the action changes of course the app is safe secure and super easy for you to use and you get your winnings paid fast so here's your call to action to sign up just use that promo code twist for your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 make every moment mean more this season with FanDuel the official sportsbook partner of The NFL, that's right. They're the official partner. One
1: other thing he notes um, is that when they ask him about, you know, sort of this downturn and how painful it might be. And one thing that he notes that I think is really specifically valuable is that he says this run lasted a long enough time that it may have erased some memories or encompasses like a generation of investors who have not known a downturn, those sweet summer children. And he says, uh, and I quote, the collective venture community needs to get its head around the new reality as fast as possible. Yeah. And the more people see what's really going on, the quicker that'll happen. He says in 09, the response to the downturn was pretty swift, but you had the benefit that '01 was only seven or eight years in the rearview mirror. There's some institutional memory around the valley, he says, but it's been a very long time since 2009.
0: Um, yeah, which I it just is... thought was such a
1: good point because honestly, like. I I tweeted this the other day. I was like, look, I don't have any reason to think this except that I was there in 2000 Mm -hmm. when you just felt it turn. And I was there in 2008 and I remembered this dinner that some friends and I went to where we all sat around the table and we're like, yeah, this is going to be pretty bad. There's a feeling and that feeling is right now. Like this downturn, we've been waiting for it to start. We've been in the anticipation phase. The tide has gone out on the tsunami. But now Uh. it's here.
0: Yeah, Um, it's here. You have to adjust. And Mm -hmm. if you don't adjust, you can die. So Mm -hmm. this goes for investors and this goes for founders as well. I I did a tweet just the other day just saying, like, listen, take this seriously, because there are some companies and founders maybe who are straggling and hoping we're going to bounce back to the way it was. Yeah. And we're not going to, and if we do, it's a 10-year journey to get to that level of insanity if we ever get there again. Yep. Like the, do, the, the distance between the dot-com mania of 2000 and the 2021 mania was 20 years. Literally so 20 years. let's just pause for a second. Mm-hmm. It took 20 years to rebound. Do you have 240 months of runway to wait and 20 years <laughs> of your life to wait for this to yeah. rebound? It, yeah. This is not coming back. I'll be retired when this comes back, maybe. Who knows? Mm-hmm. We don't know how fast these things come back to. There is no more time to pretend that it's coming back. You just it's, have to accept the reality. And the reality crazy, is... Yeah. Yeah. And it's bad. going to be very hard. The reality is
1: bad. Here's a, another bananas quote from this interview. He talks about people, these companies raising insane amounts of money, right? He goes, some have raised 500 billion, 3 billion. There was no precedent for sums like that. And some of that money, says Bill Gurley, might be dead money. Wait, you want funds? to start a podcast today, by the way, about the recession? Call it Dead Money. That's an incredible name for a podcast. Yeah. So, wait, wait. He's saying people raise venture funds, raise that, or companies? He's saying companies raise got that. It. There's been a huge volume of capital, and the scale Not of the 500 companies is radically. 500 million this must be a, a typo billion. in this story. Yeah, yeah exactly. I some have okay. raised 500 million, 3 billion. But so he's saying that these companies have. Huge amounts of revenue, but some with massive losses, and companies that may maybe have raised three billion dollars. You always Mm -hmm. wonder if he's secretly talking about Uber. (laughs) In this case, I don't think he is, but he's like some of that might be dead money for VCs. I assume he means for those investors.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you put that amount of money into a startup that doesn't truly have product market fit and is not growing, you Mm -hmm. put so much money into that company. That company should really buy back the shares from investors and then have a smaller amount of money um, to go forward. So, and I don't know how you even begin to have that discussion. Um, I do think like there have been some companies buying back shares, I think I may have read that TikTok, in fact, was buying back some shares from early investors to lock in a win for them, because mm-hmm. uh, they had so much money in their coffers. So if you have a ton of money in your coffers, and the company's valuation has come down, just like public companies will buy some shares back. It's not a bad concept is to set up um, uh, a facility to maybe buy back some shares uh, from your early investors and, and reduce the number of shares in the company maybe but this is definitely um, going to get weird because if you have that much money in the bank account it leads to weird behavior like I won't do the layoffs now this article I think I think this interview was done on August 2nd because he does mention in the first um, question oh my god Robin Hood just did a riff uh, reducing mm-hmm. workforce
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um And so they laid off 23%. And he asks him about this. So I think that this article is six weeks old, Mm -hmm. which means, um, you know, things before
1: last Friday, when it really started.
0: Well, we we had a double bottoming out process, right? So the the market bottomed in June, I did a bunch of J trading over the summer. And remember, I said, I think it's gonna bottom out again, maybe another two times, and it'll be like this sort of and that just was last Friday. So I'm actually thinking of buying equities again, uh, and starting the J trading train up. again now, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that we're, I mean, we're I mean, gonna sink for a process. little
1: while longer, it's just that the we're this cycle, we're gonna report in 10 years that the cycle started Friday. It's possible that you could yeah Maybe sideways. I mean, I mean, as as we've been yeah. talking, it's been dropping more and more and more. So like, we've still got to like a freak out. And we're still way above, I think, 2021 levels, like we still have more to fall.
0: We could Yeah, I have a feeling that the cash on the sidelines is going to want to maybe not be in cash for much longer, um, so all that cash that's sitting on the sideline, people are eventually going to say, "Well, these are the winning companies
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, that are undervalued, and i 'm going to buy my shares now, whether it 's Disney or Amazon or Apple. People are going to just start placing I think people are going to start placing some bets now. The thing that I do think is going to happen, and I think it's related to this reduction in workforce. He says in this story, bill says like um hey, listen uh." The thing I hate about these reduction in workforces is doing multiple ones because if you do five mm-hmm. to ten percent, I don't know if you have that quote there, uh, but it, this is a very important one that's worth yeah, reading. This
1: was amazing. He was like, "I hate that." Let's see. Let me find it. He goes, "I hate the uh, five to ten percent layoffs. You don't get any material impact to lowering your expenses, yet you get all the cultural negatives of having hmm. done a layoff. You get a hundred percent of the pain and very little gain, and then you're in retweet land. You end up with two or f- two or three of them, which." I can't tell you. I mean, I have a friend who's at this company right now who keeps doing these little drib drabs Oof. and, and it's caught and it. Then it causes good people to leave because it just is like this constant, yeah. like get it over with.
0: Yeah. I agree so much with this. You know, when yeah. you, when you do it two or three times and it's, it's hard to do layoffs. It's hard to face the music that you may have overbuilt. Now. I, I think a way to get through this molly, uh, psychologically for founders mm-hmm. who are struggling with this is I decided to hire a year or two in advance. And I had this talk with Toby from shop Shopify, last, just this last Friday. And it's, a, mm-hmm. it's an episode worth listening to. Because he says, Listen, I made the decision to hire a year or two out to have this extra capacity things reverted. I need to take ownership of that. So if you think like Toby does, and mm-hmm. he's a pretty successful, thoughtful founder, okay, you made the right decision, then compete for talent, get people in the door. And you know, you know that you're going to have work for them in the coming 12 to 24 months. Now, because either revenues compressing, uh, or you don't need as much or you need to show more profitability, or you need to extend your runway. The situation has changed. And that's what Bill keeps saying in this piece is like the situations Mm -hmm. change. And uh, he was specifically referring to Robin Hood, which did multiple rounds of layoffs. And I I really like this idea of the material impact, you know, five or 10% cost savings isn't going to do anything. But when you have 25% cost Mm -hmm. savings, okay, well, now you can, you know, if you lost 10% of your revenue, and you cut 25% you know, like maybe you're gonna maybe even increase your earnings uh, or extend your runways. And that's really what you're looking to do here is make a material balance sheet decision. Five or 10% not material 20% material. I've been very lucky in both companies. I mean, I looked at inside I looked at launch. Okay, I looked at the dashboard. I looked at the amount of cash looked at the amount of revenue. I was like, Oh, I underspent in both companies kept them both profitable. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you know, if we don't do anything, I guess we could come back down to break even. Okay, it's a risk I'm worth ta- That's worth taking for me. I don't need yeah. to make cuts. But I did look at it immediately, not to scare everybody on the yeah. call. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I did if I'm talking about here every day. And I was like, Oh, I understand. I said, let's keep our expenses low and be profitable and keep cash in the bank. Okay, right. good for me, right. like, I got it right, but I probably missed some opportunities by not going faster over the last five years. So, you know, um, pick your poison. Well, and I, that is, I think, so much of the
1: conversation that's happening now is like, did people go too hard? And were they irresponsible? And should companies have raised so much? And should venture put that much money in the, you know, but like, you play a different game depending on the rules on the field. If the If it's an up market, the rules are different. It's a different game.
0: That's what he says in the he says that play the he game does? on the field. He literally says play the game on the field in this interview. That may is have hilarious. Just unconsciously. Uh, <laughs> I probably just that, like uh, absorbed it. What, what do they, they say? D- uh, make hay while the sun shines. Is that the term? Something like that. Yeah. There's like a make uh, make hay while the sun shines. Yeah. It's yeah. like a famous well, look expression. At that. Right? He literally
1: says you have to play the game on the field. So I was just looking at this paragraph. I bet I did. I bet I like psychically mm-hmm. absorbed this. But it's really true. And what I like about this, what's so great about this too, is that this is just like, Bill Gurley is like the Valley's dad, right? Like he's just, Uncle Bill Bill is out here telling you, you need to wise up, take your medicine, get out of denial. Yep. Quit trying to kid yourselves here. Drink a
0: glass of water. Put your
1: seatbelt on. Exactly. Hydrate and do the hard work. Pee before you
0: leave. (laughs) Pee before you
2: leave. Just all things old, Dad say.
1: Good old pee before Close you leave Close the door. Your door way the air conditioners here. on.
0: <laughs> eat your vegetables. <laughs> get a good
1: night's sleep. Were you born in a barn? Close the front door. You know, like that. Yeah. I mean, all these things. Uncle Bill. Uncle Bill was... is basically out here just being like, yeah. "Wise up." This is this is it's what it's it's very Eckhart Tolle. It's like, look, that was then. This is now. Now is now.
0: The only thing you need to worry about is now. Here's the thing. He says, responding to a question on if a company could ever be too aggressive with layoffs, Bill says gospel according to girly gospel girly gospel here okay girly girly gospel i've never seen that in my history everybody (laughs) says we're going to the bone we're getting to the bone everyone says that and i know it's a touchy subject because people are losing their jobs and all i had to be in all but companies even small startups are way more resilient than people realize it's the norm that you cut 30% and everything keeps on going. You don't lose your customers. And some people find, oh, wait, we're moving a little bit faster. That No, that is my Bill Gurley at the poker table. It's amazing. <laughs> it sounds it's a pretty, little. People, and now everybody does it. <laughs> Chamath does it. Saxon. Really? does it. Oh, oh yeah. It's God. pretty funny. I, he hates me for it. At the it's beginning, I
1: got a little Bill Clinton from it. It was giving a little Bill Clinton, but it came back around. It did, yeah.
0: Sometimes Cigarette. things get better. I mean, yes, eventually some companies go bankrupt, but I've never seen someone do too much. You can always hire back. I think 95% of the time, the failure is the other way of not doing enough. Gospel according to Girly. Amen. Right. Praise Jesus. Pee before you leave. Hallelujah. Pee before you leave. Amen. Shut Praise Jesus. Pee before you
1: leave is beautiful. <laughs> I want that to be like, I want that to be just girly merch. Like, it's a, just we a
2: Curly just a gospel, mug. pee Curly
1: before gospel. you leave,
0: Amen. one layoff, one riff. <laughs> one riff, pee before you leave. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Invest in any market. Bring a protein bar.
2: Oh my gosh. Uh, wear a helmet. All this stuff, yeah.
0: Oh, it's uh, lovely.
1: But yes, I think what we're trying to say, people, it's changed. Things have changed. Things have changed. Not in crypto, though. Crypto is still doing crypto. this being bananas.
0: It's like, I know we have the crypto roundtable tomorrow. I know. So
1: uh, I don't want to waste it all. Maybe let's... Yeah. You know what? I really want to talk about this Girls Who Code story. Can we skip ahead to this?
0: All right. Now, I saw this come across my feed.
1: So I saw this uh, because my homie Reshma Savjani posted it, uh, who founded, of course, Girls Who Code on her yeah. Instagram. And it appears to have, in fact, been the case that in the midst of a huge shortage mm. of workers... Mm -hmm. And um, education around STEM and coding and technology that the Central York School District of York City, Pennsylvania, which serves 40,000 people, banned, among many other books, Girls Who Code, Mm -hmm. removed the Girls Who Code series and, quote, a range of other children's books with any tincture of off-white diversity from its classrooms. This ban is not currently in effect. It lasted 10 months between 2020 and 2021 because local activists lost their GD minds and were successful in reversing it. But it resurfaced this week after a group called Pen America published a nationwide index of banned books from the 2021 and 2022 school year. And this included, once again, Girls Who Code, a book series in which the protagonists are uh black latina asians and muslim and i believe also white girls they uh these activists convinced this school board this conservative group convinced the school board to ban about 300 books that they thought were problematic like malala my story of standing up for girls rights a book Hmm. about pele the soccer player that's in spanish
2: yeah
1: a book called who are venus and serena williams and then i would like to reiterate girls who code
0: wait i am rosa parks also on this list yep Yep. Yeah, I don't think you need to ban that.
1: Who okay. are Venus and Serena Williams? Yeah, I don't need
0: to ban that. Yeah, um, I think like if we're all right, at so,
1: the point where we yeah. have a truly catastrophic, la- I mean, listen, setting aside everything that has to do with, oh, we banned a bunch of books because they have brown people in them. Yeah. Right. Which is 100% indefensible. The point at this which is, you're saying, not only do we want people not to be brown or black, but we don't want girls to have careers in technology is just like, right. I'm sorry, tell me again what your goal is here because you're just, at that point, you're just kind of hurting America.
0: We need this is,
1: uh, girls notable. notable.
0: This is notable because this is so obscure and insane. Mm-hmm. Like, there are these last pockets of insanity like this that exist in the world and... Oh, they're growing though no
1: i don't oh, think yes so. they are. come on book
2: no. bands no, no book i think bands what are it way is, is on be,
0: the re, on the way back maybe maybe i think for okay so i think there's this the ones that involve gender and sexuality i would agree with because there is a reasonable debate to be had of when do you introduce sex education or gender in schools right like i think you could have like i don't know what the age is i was listening to sam harris and some other people talk about this I don't actually, I probably should study this, like, since I have kids. Like, at what age do you introduce gender? At what age do you introduce sexuality? I don't actually know, because when I was in school, what? when did you get sex ed? Sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade? I think it was seventh grade for us. Do you even remember? Yeah, I don't know.
1: I, so, I mean, honestly, I don't really know. I we, be, Yeah, er, I don't know. Early in my household, probably later in school.
0: Right. And then who should be responsible for introducing it the parents banning
1: efforts are on a record high trajectory for 2022 for which type of books because this i think this
0: one for people of color makes no sense that's just dumb and insane but i do think there's like a reasonable discussion to be had around gender and sex of when those happen oh this is fox yeah um yeah Yeah,
1: that's what i'm saying
2: well who knows what they're they're reporting well, no, I they're talking
1: about how it's uh, mostly some books? of the most targeted books include Maya Kobabi's graphic memoir about sexual identity, gender queer, okay. and Jonathan Evison's Lawn Boy are coming in. This is just an actual news story from Fox. They once in a while still do
0: this. Like yeah, a regular. W- th- sometimes they actually will mm-hmm. do like a Reuters. So this could be like a a, a news story too. Yeah. The website. Um, so who knows? Like when you're looking at these it. websites, just to find, just for media literacy folks, there's a thing called Reuters and AP. Those are like news feeds where journalists who are you know center will write a story and then both new york times wall street journal fox right. anybody msnbc case, could rerun them but they can change the headline so they'll frame the headline differently in the story so just for your awareness look for if it's a reuters or ap byline right.
1: in this case they are their sourcing is from the american library association which put out a so, report oh, so saying, this is like
0: a yeah, byline article this is by somebody
1: about a report that came out this is news reporting Got about it. a report that came out. I know this is, this is this what Fox has done but, but to it, itself. I think
0: I nailed it. This is really about gender. This is like the hot button issue I for don't, parents. It is
1: not really about gender. Like it Did is you say the first gender? two books
0: were gender? Yeah.
1: Okay, it is about gender. It is also about race. It is also just dangerous okay. and bizarre.
0: Okay, yeah, but I mean, and also separate like, the two. I don't want to, no. I mean,
1: this is not the show for us to have the conversation about when people should be taught about gender. Like, come on.
0: Well, no, I'm I'm just bringing up this insanity of the girls who code is truly insane like and then i think this other one of book banning with gender or sexuality there is definitely a reasonable discussion at what age to do that and do parents get to decide or you know what and 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 just disclosing that to parents i think this is like another one of those issues where people should just talk about it in normal terms like what age i don't know the answer i'm not like a psychologist why are you why am I what? Go ahead. And it no, it's okay. No, the no. reason I brought it up was because I think that this one stands out. Because when I saw this, I was like, this sounds like a crazy group of racists. Right on the side. And I have seen the other book. So banning, if you but assume- all the book banning has to do with gender, and people are really tweaked about trans or uh, people transitioning right. or and so even bringing up to kindergartners or first because graders they're
1: tweaked about that is why they're saying there's this reasonable conversation to be had about when kids learn about gender and sexuality but the truth is like that's just that's the phrase that everybody uses to introduce the idea that like i don't want my kid to know about this when in fact i feel like is has there ever been when in fact that just leads you straight to book banning has there ever been a downside to too much information
0: i think the argument is i i um, just cursory yeah. been no, I'm reading familiar about with this the argument
1: i'm just saying like has there ever been a downside to too much
0: information why is it yeah, why would I think, information yes, wouldn't yeah of course it's bad. a downside to too much information yes you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, have kindergartners and first graders learn about the holocaust or murder oh, because actually keep mouse them up at night.
1: is on one of the books uh, on the band well, list
0: mouse is very graphic i've read that book it's incredible mm-hmm. um i would recommend it for maybe seventh or eighth grade i don't know sure if it's appropriate for a first grader to be exposed to what happened in the Holocaust in such a graphic way. Right? That, I mean th- I think that's you're asking me. So I there yeah. is an age at which more information's probably not good. Uh murder, serial killers come to mind. Like at what age should people learn about those things? <laughs> like you don't want your kids having nightmares. Um now gender, mm, sexuality, like what is the age? I mean I'm I'm not a prude but yeah I, I would definitely and then the, there's the outright asking people what gender they are. That seems to be a trigger for a lot of parents. Like, asking a kindergarten or first grader to identify is, I think, what is making people uncomfortable. That's what I've read. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think
1: that's a separate conversation from banning books. I just always hear that particular question come up in the context of, like, well, this is why it's fine to ban books. And
0: Yeah, there's a difference between banning books and when to introduce them. Sure. And librarians, yeah. for example,
1: have been yeah. great at having that conversation for hundreds yeah. of years,
0: right? Like if we're
1: pretending yeah. that there's this some sort of like material being placed in front of children, that's not developmentally appropriate. Like libraries have age groups, there's, yeah. you know, teachers are trained in developmental appropriateness. Like, I just think every time that conversation starts, it's not in good. It's like that particular question has been used not by you necessarily, yeah. but not in good faith.
0: Yeah, I mean, when to introduce books, or when to introduce topics and banning books are two different things. So right. yeah, it's two it's different. I mean, and also, the librarian in Berkeley or Oakland or San Francisco might have and the community there might have a different view uh, than the one in Texas or Florida, right. Of right. what what is a what is an appropriate age, right? And so yeah, I kind of default to like having an open dialogue about this and have parents have a say in it. But I do think like, then you could have these edge cases where the parents have a say, and they're like, Yeah, my say is no black people and no books about black people. I mean, exactly. This, crazy, like, this, this group is once. Like, everybody's yeah. like,
1: Parents should decide what happens in schools. Like, you have a school board. We have a representative democracy. Yeah. You have an elected school board of officials who have studied things like uh, child development, behavioral, hopefully, you know, psychology. Like, hopefully. Well, yeah, hopefully that was the, no, that no, some is, of has these been a other theory, things, some of these school but then boards it, are now getting instead hijacked. they get stacked with people who want to like ban books 100%. Or either way, it's
0: stacked either way, yeah.
1: But again, even this idea of like, parents should have a say. Yeah, they have a say, that's why we have school yeah. boards and principals and teachers and experts, and you're supposed to be yeah. able to, in a functioning society, outsource those decisions to people who know about them, because in mm. fact, you do not and may be a racist.
0: Uh, and then in San Francisco we had a bunch of lunatics running the school system and they all got repealed
1: by the well parents. exactly because that's so, how the system is supposed to work the parents yeah. were like
0: okay. that got out of hand yeah they're like yeah uh, maybe you could educate our kids instead of renaming the schools <laughs> we focus please uh, we had this yeah. big recall here right in San Francisco yeah. where well, they just anyway listen we're not going to solve this here on this weekend start us but you don't need to really ban not. books about you don't need to ban the I think we could say you don't need to ban any books? The Malalia I mean, book. I don't know about well, any. Maybe I, I don't mean, know books like, about right, explosives. Like, I think you are you can on make the editorial lives.
1: decisions <laughs> as a library, but like this, I mean. Well, I mean,
0: uh, in banning certain, books I mean, about if,
1: coding because there are little brown no, girls in crazy. them is just like beyond the pale. Like this is I like think we can agree. Yeah, this is like some weird
0: group of like crazy racists. Um, this is not like the discussion of should you allow nazi books or nazi documentaries like that was a very interesting one for me like lini riefenstahl i had read her autobiography and i watched her films they're like seminal works of film they also happened to be propaganda for the nazis like and you can yeah. watch olympia you could watch triumph of the will you could watch the blue light you could watch her films which would be at film festivals i saw them actually at the film festivals in new york um because they used to be into independent film and like in some countries like you know in, in germany and france they don't let you even sell those yeah. So you could own a DVD from the Criterion Collection in America, and it's banned in Germany and banned in France for obvious reasons. They have a different sensitivity to it. Yep. Actually, this happened yep. to I think. Do you remember when Yahoo Auctions got in trouble because somebody started selling Nazi memorabilia in France? Oh, yeah. I do oh, remember so like, that. You can, yes, listen, and they took like, it
1: down, and that was like proto-radical free speech freak out. It's weird how well, and much also, overlap there is between... Anyway. Well, I mean, you think about it,
0: like... You might have a different sensitivity in Europe to the selling of Nazi memorabilia because you might actually still have Nazis. And different right. laws, right? Yeah, you have different laws because there's still Nazis there, there and there's still like laws. a Nazi contingent, you know. And, and there here, might be Nazi but, bloodlines. All right. So anyway, we right. we got to Nazis today. Anyway, to Goodman's law. <laughs> we exactly, made it. Everybody, and it happened. And seen. <laughs> and time to end the show. <laughs> and time to end the show. Uh, <laughs> we got to Nazis tomorrow. We'll do crypto.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't. Unrelated.
1: Unrelated topics. But we are back right. with another crypto roundtable with Sunny and Vinny, Absolutely. which is fast becoming one of my favorites. Like, this is such a fun love it. segment. Yeah. Those two are great. And there's and tons of news. Tons of news. I'm sure it has been a little bit of a
0: chaotic day. And mm-hmm. frankly, I expect that to continue throughout the week. <laughs> I mean, we got and to book bannings, to gender, Nazis, and Bill Clinton impersonations. This episode, we'll see what we
2: get to it tomorrow. It has it all. See you then. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving us an upvote. And Hillary, Friends, she, you're Hillary, here. Give us a thumbs up and do what's right for the American people, Molly. It's so Molly. So I just wanna say I was watching this week in Startup and I watched you and the work you did at Marketplace. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable. And how now. we survive, Molly. And I asked myself, I was talking to Chelsea about how we in oh, fact survive. God. And I said, I'm not upvoting
1: this. Are you not smashing that like button
2: right now? Smash Ooh. that like button, and
1: <laughs> watch you, oh god!
2: I want you smash that like button like I smashed Putin. Nope. no, nope. I smash Putin back. Nope. What I Ooh. said? I smash Putin. Oh lord! <laughs> Why are you Ooh. raising a revler? Because this is your Bill Clinton. It's always Ma- gonna go bad. Molly, I just want to say, you know, when we were in office, we took an approach, both sides of the aisle, let's lower the deficit, and let's meet halfway. And if you meet halfway, you know, I consider some people on the other side of the aisle, we disagree. We disagree. A 25% rift, 15% rift, 20% in between those two numbers. Let's just get the rift done, as Gurley says i'm
1: not uh, so i was Zen profit on this one who said i'm gonna pee before i leave <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> thank you everyone i hope that works i hope we got some upvotes out of that hope you smash <laughs> I got that 20 like button upvotes
0: out of it my clinton boom
1: bill clinton always works i That's used to amazing. do my bill clinton a lot in the oh, 2000s that, and 90s and that explains why the girly like starts there and then settles
2: Oh my goodness. I I met Bill Clinton once. uh, We watched an old Simpsons episode about carrot interest. (laughs) And I said, Mr. President, that carrot interest is a real big part of what makes the economy go. (laughs) No, Bill, Bill? I agree. I agree that you should get that carrot (laughs) interest. But I just want you to see you invest in education and health care for the American people. We can all agree on that, can't we, Bill? Bill well squared. i don't know where mr president but
0: <laughs> i can't go back and forth
1: between the you two just, i know totally bill Square is a lot of work that was impressive it's a good bit it's a good, it's bit. A good bill, bit
2: when bill met bill <laughs> when bill met bill bill, bill, on bill, bill bill i'm just a bill mayday i'm only a bill <laughs> and i'm sitting that's here on capitol <laughs> hill <laughs> uh, uh, conjunction oh, junction that's what favorite. is your function